All right, let's jump into the message. You know, I grew up in a uh, small town, a rural small town in southwestern Ontario. And there's something that people did in this small town that I'm not quite sure to this day if this is just a small town thing or if this is like a pre-cell phone era sort of thing. And that is people would just drop by your house unannounced, without calling, and just say, hey, just wanted to stop in for a visit. Anyone remember doing that or have had that? Is it a small town thing or just a pre-cell phone? It might be just a pre-cell phone thing. But for those of you Gen Zers out there, let me tell you, there was a day when without any notice or warning, people would show up at your front door. And you're like, they showed up at your front door? Like, did they need something? Were they picking something up? No, they just wanted to chat. And, you know, today, the only people that come to your door are the Amazon delivery guys, the Intelcom for us, uh, Ottawa, for Ottawa, people in Ottawa, Intelcom, or the salesman from Bell and Rogers trying to get you, convince you to switch your internet provider from one to the other, or those, uh, those wonderful young Mormons who are, who knock on your door. They're just some of the most amazing people, aren't they? Or if you've got kids, kids in my neighborhood, they're the only ones who ever knock on our door. And the reason I know that it's a kid, because uh, they don't just ring the doorbell. They ring the doorbell like ding, 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 ding. I guess we don't teach kids like doorbell etiquette anymore. But my question to you is, do we need to bring back the unexpected, unannounced house visit? We need to have a discussion. Do we need to bring it back? I know... I know that things from the 90s are slowly making a comeback, right? Like, the Gen Zers are wearing 90s fashion now. So I'm wondering if we should bring back the unexpected house visit. The just, I was in the neighborhood and thought I'd stop by to say hello. You know, I'm not feeling the vibe from you guys. I don't think you're just fully on board. Here's what we're going to do. Starting next week, I'm myself as pastor, I'm going to just choose one family and just unexpectedly drop in for a visit. Does that sound good? I know these stress levels are like, <sighs> Now, what would you do if it wasn't me at the door, but instead it was the Lord Almighty? <laughs> God who was knocking at your door and dropping in for a visit. What would you do if God just happened to be in the neighborhood and wanted to drop in and say, hello? Would you be ready? Would you anticipate his visit? Would you even let him in through the door? And the reason I, I, I say this and I ask this is because God loves the unexpected visit. He does, doesn't he? He loves the unexpected visit. He is an expert at the unannounced when you least expect it. I was just dropping in and wanted to say hello. And this Palm Sunday, I've titled my message, When God Visits You, because clearly when we read through the Bible, and really we'll see it this morning in our story, God loves to stop in just to visit his people. Sometimes it's unannounced, and other times it can be anticipated. For example, this morning we gathered together to worship. We anticipated a visit from God. We, we, we believed in faith that his presence would be here with us. But the question that we need to ask is not whether or not God will visit, but when God visits us, will we be ready? Will we be ready to receive him? Because when God does visit you, 
it's not going to be when it works best for your schedule, okay? When God visits you, it's not going to always meet your expectations. In fact, I can pretty much guarantee that when God visits, it's going to be the opposite of what you expect him to do or when you expect God to show up. But let me do tell you this. When God does show up, when he does visit his people, we need to be ready to receive him. To let him in because when he does visit, God rarely is just in the neighborhood and wanted to stop by. But he is visiting you because there is a purpose. There is a reason. I believe that when God visits his people, there is often something he wants us to see. Something he wants us to, to, to show us, to reveal to us, to teach to us. You know, I want to tell you about a time in, in my life when God visited me unexpectedly. It was in 2014. I was the youth, a youth pastor at the time, and I had taken a group of students with me, 15 teenagers, down to Los Angeles for a, a one-week missions trip where we were going to visit the Dream Center in Los Angeles. If you don't know what the Dream Center is, just it's the one of the most just fascinating, awesome organizations in America that just serves the homeless, helps people in need, uh, as well as uh, it's a rehabilitation center for people who are addicted to all sorts of things and you can go there and you can just sort of help they'll put you to work and they work you hard and it was on Thursday of that week that on our itinerary that they prepared for us that we were required to go and visit Skid Row to hand out sandwiches and water bottles and just you know just bring some some food and some relief to the district of Skid Row now for those of you who don't know what Skid Row is, I imagine most of us do, but Skid Row is a, a part of the downtown district in Los Angeles that is just, where just like homeless people live. And not just like homeless people, but like drug addicts, you know, prostitutes. Um, it's all sorts of illegal activity takes place. There's even children that live on Skid Row. And that was the part that probably broke my heart the most was when little kids were running up to you and it's like, you guys live here? It's the sort of place that when God visits Skid Row, Jesus weeps, right? That Jesus weeps. But here's the thing. When I visited Skid Row, I wasn't weeping like Jesus would weep because I was in charge of 15 teenagers and was responsible for making sure that they stayed safe. And I'll be honest, I was not looking forward to this day in Skid Row. I was quite the opposite, not, in, not looking forward to it. And my anxiety was through the roof because I knew that if anything happened to those kids on Skid Row, that would be a phone call unlike no other. Hey, mom and dad. Yeah, Junior, you know, got into an incident on Skid Row. It's not the sort of like phone call you want to make. And so as we were driving there, I spent the car ride lecturing these students on the importance of safety. And I had buddied them up in the buddy system so that, and I just basically just spent all of my time just preparing them to watch their backs and just to, to be on guard, to be safe. You get the gist. So there on that beautiful July day in Los Angeles, we had arrived and we had barely gotten out of our you know, passenger van. It was still early in the morning when a homeless man approached our group. You know, he was very clearly a resident of Skid Row. He was about 40, 45 years old, African-American man, wearing backpacks, you know, with all his stuff and really dirty, you know, uh, like kind of just really unkept clothes. 
very obvious that he lived there. And he approached us, and I'm thinking to myself, like, here we go, you know? Like, what is this going to be? Just wanted him just to, like, say what you need to say, and then go on your way. And he approached our group, and he said something that caught me off guard. He said, hey, guys, I, I know who you are. I know who you're with. I've seen the groups down here before. I just wanted to stop by and just say thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come visit us. That kind of threw me off guard. And he said, do you mind if I just say a word to the group? Like, just to share a word? And I said, okay. Like, I, I didn't know what else to say. And he just said to the group, he said, when you guys go through the streets today and hand out these water bottles and these sandwiches, can I encourage you guys not just to hand out the sandwich and move on to the next per- person, but when you hand them a sandwich, like, look them in the eyes. And to just see them the way God sees them. Because here's the thing. These people that you're about to serve, this is someone who lives on Skid Row, okay? Keep that in mind. They're a rebellious people. They're hard-hearted. And, you know, when you go to them, they're not going to say thank you. They're not going to acknowledge your presence. They're just going to treat it like as it is. But I want you guys to see something. And he opens his Bible. And I, as I looked at the Bible, I could see the pages were well, you know, well read. There's highlight notes. And this is a man who's read his Bible. And he turned to Ezekiel chapter 2. Now, if Ezekiel chapter 2 is the call of Ezekiel, I really encourage you to go home and read Ezekiel chapter 2. It's, this, it's about God calling Ezekiel to the children of Israel. And God says to Ezekiel, I'm sending you to the children of Israel who are hard-hearted and rebellious. And when you go, they're not going to listen to you. But I want you to go regardless of how hard their hearts are and how rebellious of the people are because they're my people. And I love them. And I want you to go not because they're hard-hearted, but because I've sent you to go. And he says, I want, you're going out today, and these people are hard-hearted and rebellious, but go today because God has sent you. And then he closed his Bible, and he put it back in his bag, and he turned around, and he walked away. And I was just speechless. Speechless. And I, I, you know, the last thing you'd ever expect someone living on Skid Row would say to you, and I turned to one of the other leaders that was with me, and we just kind of stared at each other in disbelief (laughs) with our jaws open. And I said to him, like, did God just visit us? (laughs) You know, I don't know if that was like, honestly, I I walked away and I was like, what if that was like an angel? (laughs) What if that was God just making an appearance? I don't know. I'll ask God one day in heaven. That's one of the questions I have for him. Was that day on Skid Row, was that a divine encounter or was that just a crazy coincidence? Because I was blown away. But either way, I was certain we had been visited by God. And so that brings us to Palm Sunday, the day God visited Israel, the day of their visitation. And Palm Sunday, as we've now read and seen on the video, is the the day the humble coronation of King Jesus, where every year the church commemorates the day where he entered into Jerusalem triumphantly, setting into motion the final showdown between the powers and principalities that would take place over Holy Week that would lead up to the sort of the climax on Good Friday of his crucifixion and then, of course, the resurrection on Sunday. But Palm Sunday is significant for us as Christians because it marks the beginning of Holy Week where Jesus rode into the city on a peace donkey as the crowds waved palm branches and shouted Hosanna and laid down their garments swearing fealty to Jesus as they believed to be the promised Messiah. You know, I've always found myself drawn to the Palm Sunday story 
Because I look at the crowds who the Bible says were disciples of Jesus. It's not they were just, you know, just strangers. The large majority of this crowd were his followers who had come to, to have faith in him and to believe in him. And you look at the way in which they interacted and, and re, to Jesus' arrival, and we see they get a lot of things right in the story, but they also get a, a lot of things wrong. And I relate to that as a Christian. I don't know about you. As a Christian, there are times when I find I get a lot of things right and I get a lot of things wrong. You know, there are times when I worship wonderfully and I celebrate him. And then there are times when I'm rebellious and I'm hard-hearted. And when he doesn't meet my expectations, I turn my, my back on him. You know, I shout Hosanna and then I'm willing to say, you know, away with him if it doesn't sort of fit my needs. You know, in this moment that unfolds before them, you know, the disciples, they recognized that this wasn't just, you know, Jesus coming in on a donkey. It's not that he was just tired and that he needed to rest his legs. They, they recognized the symbolism of this event that's unfolding. You know, like any Marvel movie fans here, any hardcore Marvel fans, I know they exist. I've met them. You know, the type of fan that wa- doesn't just watch the movie, but when they watch the movie, they're looking out for all the, e- the Easter eggs, which some of you are like, what are you talking about, Easter eggs? Which is a term these movie geeks use to describe all these hidden clues that the director will put in the movie to sort of point back to an older film or another part of the story. And so these, these movie fans are, are sort of watching the movie with intent to see if they can spot the Easter eggs. Well, here on Palm Sunday, it is a story that is filled with these... Easter eggs, no pun intended. These hidden clues. And they knew it and they understood it. They knew what it meant to shout Hosanna. The words in Psalm 118, a messianic psalm of deliverance. Save us now, we pray, O Lord. Give us success. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. They weren't just spontaneously singing that. They were quoting Psalm 118. They knew what it meant for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's not that he just needed to rest his legs the last mile into the city, that he walked the entire way, but at the very end, he's tired and needed to rest. No, they knew Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. Not to mention how in their own history they remembered the time when King David heard the report of of Adonijah was ready to challenge the Davidic dynasty was going to make a claim for the throne of David and so David wisely takes his son Solomon and puts him on a donkey and rides him through the city coronating him as king and as he rode through the city on this animal the crowd shouted long live king solomon long live king solomon they knew what it all meant they knew what it meant to wave palm branches you know if you ever attend a a sporting event especially in america football event it's a spectacle of of nationalism right you've got the military and the jets flying over and the usa usa you know, the palm branches was the equivalent of national pride. Recalling a time when Judas Maccabee, who every year I love to say his nickname. Does anyone remember his nickname? Anyone remember? I say it every year. The Hammer. That's such the best nickname in, in all the Bible. 
led a revolution, the hammer. And he overtook Jerusalem. And as he, the hammer, and his army rode through the city, the people waved palm branches. Israel, Israel, Israel. They knew what it meant to spread their clothes on the road, swearing fealty to Jesus. They knew that this was a king. And if he was a king, as the Bible prophesied that a king would come, he would be a king that would bring peace to the nations. Yet how do kings bring peace? Well, through the sword, of course. Because that's how all kings would bring peace, through violence, through strength, through power. Because there was no kingdom imagination in their mind. They couldn't perceive a kingdom that was different than the kingdoms of this world and how a king could have the ability to turn swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. And in this kingdom, nobody would need to learn how to do war because nations don't fight against other nations. All they knew was good old Pax Romana. Peace through Roman strength and power. If you dissented against the empire, crucifixion was awaiting you. They would put you on a cross. That's how they enforced peace, through the sword. I had an old Bible professor who would bring this, co this coffee mug to class. And on it, it would always say, the beatings will continue until morale improves. And he would like to remind us every once in a while that if the morale doesn't improve, the beatings will continue. They knew what it all meant, yet still, knowing wasn't enough. Because when their king came to them, he came riding on a, on a peace donkey, victorious and righteous, and he was lifted up before them. He was raised high as king. Jesus said earlier that just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so too must the Son of Man, <clears throat> excuse me, the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in me will have eternal life. Except as Jesus was lifted up, they did not believe in him. The same crowds who chanted Hosanna saw when they saw Jesus lifted up on a cross, they were the ones who were now crying, crucify him. You know, God was visiting his people through Jesus. And here's what Jesus said. You know, Nathan read the story of Palm Sunday, which is often where we end. But I want to go a little bit further in the story today in verse 41 to 44. And as he approached and saw the city, Jesus wept for it, saying, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst, because you do not recognize the time when God visited you. You do not recognize the time when God visited you. You see, as the people partied, there Jesus wept. The moment the people, they looked like they were celebrating, it was this time of celebration, yet for Jesus, it was a moment of tremendous sorrow. Jesus said, if only you knew what would make peace, if only you knew what would bring peace, but it's impossible for you to see because it's hidden from your eyes. You think you know, but you don't. You think you know what this all means. The palm branches, the, the robes, the donkey, but you have no idea. And what made Jesus weep that day over the city was that 
the, there was a day coming of utter devastation and ruin upon the city of Jerusalem. And we know that because of what happened in 70 AD when the Romans came in and just leveled Jerusalem to the ground. And that's what Jesus is weeping over this day that he is foreseeing, that he is foretelling. He says, on that day, you and your children will be crushed. And not one stone will be left on another. Why? Because you didn't recognize the time when God visited you. You see, I believe today we need to remember the story of Palm Sunday. We need to remember the time when God visited his people and they missed the day of his visitation. Because it was the culmination of the greatest visit God had ever made to his people. This was the biggest visit of, of of our entire existence and they missed it. And I am wondering today that if it was possible for these disciples of Jesus, these people who followed him to miss the day of their visitation, is it possible for you and I to miss a visit from God? That God would visit us and we too might miss him. See, here's the thing. While God has a history of showing up unexpectedly upon his people, his visits are actually not that unexpected. He may... It might feel like when he shows up that he shows up unannounced, but he actually has announced his visitation long, long time in advance. It's kind of like when you open up, you're like, I got a doctor's appointment today. How did I not know? And they're like, well, we emailed you and we called you and we were, you know, we, there's a lot of notice. When Jesus visits, he gives us plenty of notice. I want to show you a few examples. First of all, Joseph. We were just in the last few weeks in Joseph, right, in the story. Here's one last reference to Joseph's story. Here is Joseph in his old age telling his brothers in Genesis 50, 24. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and will bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. The Israelites, as they were in captivity to the Egyptians, cried out, God, where are you? God, you're never, are you ever going to come visit Joseph says, he prophesied, he told, I will come and I will visit you. And I will bring you up out of this land. Jeremiah 29, verse 10. We all know Jeremiah 29, 11, right? We've, many of us can quote it off by heart. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, and so on and so on. But what does verse 10 say? <clears throat> it says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. They go into exile. But God says, I will come and I will visit you. Those are examples from the past. Let me give you one more example from the future. 1 Peter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What does that day of visitation mean? What does that mean? The day of of his visitation. Is it not the day where Christ will return for his church? Is it not the day when God says, nobody knows the day nor the hour, but I'm telling you right now, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. Revelation 22, verse 12. Look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. But notice what it says in verse 11 there at the top. Let the unrighteous go on in unrighteousness, 
and let the filthy still be filthy, and let the righteous go on in righteousness, and let the holy still be holy. He's telling us in his word, I'm coming again. I just like I came once and they, they saw it, they knew it, but they didn't recognize it. I'm coming again. And on that day when I return, when I come again as king, the right unrighteous will just keep going on living unrighteously. But the holy will keep on living holy. I'm coming to visit and there are some who will receive me and there are others who won't. But if they, when they, if they don't receive me, if they reject me as king, it's not as if they didn't know. This is what makes Palm Sunday's the story so difficult. You know, they worshipped him, they honored him, they received him, but they didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him because they were blinded by their own expectations of what God should do if he were to ever visit them in that place. You know, if God visits, it should look like this. And when God visits, he should do that. Can you imagine missing a visit from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? What would you do if you knew you missed out on a visit? Would you weep? Wouldn't that hurt? Wouldn't that just be the worst? Yet here's the most amazing truth, and that leads us towards the Easter story. God knew that they would miss out on that visit. He knew that the righteous would go on being righteous, and the unrighteous would go on being unrighteous. Yet despite all that, despite being despised and rejected by those he came to save, he still came anyway. He still came. Knowing he would be rejected, God still comes. And he still comes today. Your king comes to you. That's the message of Palm Sunday. Despite our willingness to reject him, your king comes to you. Despite our unreadiness, he still comes. He still makes his presence known among us when we worship. Despite our failures, he still visits us with his everlasting love and his providence and his grace despite our heart's rebellion, our hard-heartedness, and he still comes and he is still coming again just like he said he would in his word. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. And so this Palm Sunday, we need to ask ourselves, when God does visit us, when he comes again, how do we ready ourselves to receive him? How do we anticipate his next visit so that when he does come, we do not miss it? This is the message that behind the parable Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 25, the story of the ten virgins. The reason why they uses the word virgin is, is because it's the bridesmaids in those days had to be an unmarried woman. And unlike our culture, an unmarried woman was a virgin. And so you have these ten unmarried girls who were bridesmaids to this wedding. And the Jewish custom for weddings was that when the groom would come to the wedding, to the house... The, the bridesmaids were required to wait outside the house of the wedding for the groom to arrive, and then they would all go into the house together as one group. And here you have these, these ten virgins waiting for the groom, and for some reason it doesn't say the groom is delayed in his coming. And they fall asleep. And when they wake up, they realized that only five of them had brought with them enough oil so that when their lamps ran out, that they had enough to replenish their supply. But five did not. They didn't have enough. And so the story 
goes, Jesus tells us that they go out to go buy some more oil for their lamps so they'll be ready. But it's while they were on their way to buy the oil in Matthew 25, verse 10 to 13, the bridegroom arrived. And the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquets, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, Jesus says, here's the point. Keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. See, we can't expect God to visit on our own terms. We can't expect God to visit the way we want God to visit. God is God, and he, when he comes, he will come in the manner he chooses to come. We can't expect God to visit, but what we can do is anticipate and prepare for his visits. We can anticipate and prepare. That is what we must take away from the Palm Sunday. That therefore keep watch to prepare and anticipate. Whether that is today in this gathering of worship, we need to prepare that before you come into church where you expect a visit from God, anticipate. Did you anticipate this morning when you stepped in here that you could receive a visit from God? Was there anticipation in your heart? Was there a preparation that says, I'm going to church today, and I'm not just going to church, I'm going to meet with God? Maybe there was a preparation, anticipation for that person in need, that when God visits you and says, go help them, are you prepared, and are you in anticipation that at any time, at any point, God might say, go? You know, when I was young, when I, uh, I just, I miss, don't you miss when you're just young and just filled with just that innocent passion? When I was living in Ukraine and living, and I'd go downtown and I would bring bills in my pocket, I'd put them in my pocket, stash my pocket full, and I would walk, and if I saw someone homeless, I just believed that I'd just put my hand in the pocket, and whatever came out of my pocket, that's the money that they needed for that day. That was God just saying, whether it's a 10, a 20, a 5, or a 1, that would suck if it was a 1. But it happens. It's like, here, sorry, it's a one. God, it's God who decides, not me. Or whether it's the final return of the Lord that we need to be ready for, as he's promised us in his word. There are two things today I want to leave you with. There are two ways that I believe that we can prepare and anticipate a visit from the Lord. Two ways, and we'll close. Number one, as we wait for his next visit, we need to worship. We need to worship. Matthew 18, 20 says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them. Remember, when God visits, it might feel unannounced, but it's never unannounced. Jesus says, if there's more than one of you who are gathered in one place, expect a visit from me. So what do I do? I go to church. Not because it fits with my schedule, because I didn't have anything else to do on Sunday this weekend. No, I go to church because I am making time around God's schedule. This church service today is not your scheduled appointment with God, but it's God's scheduled appointment with you. I will preach. (laughs) This is his time, not ours. 
We're on his time right now. So what do we do on his time? Well, when two or three are gathered, we can worship God. We can lift up our voice. We can sing. We can dance. Maybe you're like, nah, I'm not that type of person. I know Canadians, we tend not to be as like that. I know there's some of you who are like that, though. Maybe it's an inner reverence. Maybe it's just getting on your knees and being solemn before God. But we don't worship God because it's custom or it's tradition. No, we worship God because we have the belief here that when we come together in Jesus, Jesus name God might show up and he promises that he will show up and so I asked us at the beginning what would you do if God was standing at the door would you let him in you know worship is how we open the door to our hearts and we let him in worship is how we open the door and anticipate a visit from the Lord Almighty. Number two, so we anticipate and prepare by we worshiping but number two and this might be unexpected We need to weep. That's how we anticipate a visit from the Lord. We worship and we weep. We worship and we weep. You see, as Jesus came into Jerusalem that day, he didn't throw himself a party. The crowds threw themselves a party. There was a celebration, but as they were celebrating, Jesus was weeping over the people. If you want to know today what matters most to the heart of God, look at the moments in the Bible where you see Jesus